This is a recording made in the Chapel of the Open Book and is number three of the series entitled Accepted, Access or Made Meet. The title is borrowed from the first chapter of Colossians. We were looking at Colossians 1, verse um, 11, verse 12, and we proceed to go step by step through these mighty subjects. Let us look at verse 12 again. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet. We're not asking to be made meet. You'll notice in verse 13, who hath delivered us. We're not asking to be delivered. In whom we have redemption through his blood. We're not asking to be redeemed. Here's the basis of it all. Something done for us, quite independently of our asking or thinking. With regard to the word made meet, I didn't quite explain, as I felt I should have done afterwards, that the English word meet is quite a searching sort of word. Occasionally we spell the word M-E-T-E, and this country has the meat yard. That is buried deep in a, a, a underground uh, department so that it should not be influenced by changes of temperature. That is the standard measurement for this country, a meat yard. And the more you think of it, the more wonderful it is. We, of whom it is written in the Romans, that all have sinned and come short. We have all come short. This epistle says we measure up to God's infallible standard. And friends, there's no heaven for you or for me if we are not up to that standard. So that it's a hopeless thing for any one of us to seek to try to make ourselves fit, to make ourselves accepted. What we should do is after we have the assurance that we're accepted, is that we should seek to be acceptable. That is to do with our walk and with our witness. And I think it's well for us to remember that God has not made us accepted in the Beloved because we were a nice sort of people, really, taking us on the whole. Even the Apostle Paul, wonderful saint of God as he was, has told us that he was worried with the old man that was still with him. He said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. But he was still accepted in the Beloved. You know, I have a great sympathy with the Apostle in this sense, that by nature, I don't know what I seem like to you, friends, that by nature, I've got a temper that's as sharp as a streak of lightning. And I know where I got it from. For me, a poor old dad was the same. But you see, Once you realise your acceptance in the Beloved, it has an effect upon you. You don't do it, he does it. Do you remember that the Apostle Paul, some time in his career, he said, Dost thou strike me, thou whited wall? Oh, he said, I'm so sorry, I ought not to have said that. Yes, yes. And you know, there are times occasionally when I have to face things, and recently, I bowed my head and just said, He hid not his face from shame and spitting. And that saved me. 
I also learned years ago to be thankful for one word that was spoken by a Jesuit. Now, Jesuits have got to be watched. But he said, time and I against any two. Time and I. So count twice or three times and then seek to do the will of God. Well, now that's to do with being acceptable. But this has to do with being accepted. But the point is that the word accepted or the word uh, to be made meet, to be made meet, is to measure up to God's standard. And that would take the... We, we could never do it of ourselves. But isn't it a glorious thing to think that even though we know our own weaknesses, and if we don't know them, some of our friends are very conscious of them, nevertheless, without the slightest diminution, without the slightest alteration, we are up to standard. Friends, heaven wouldn't be heaven to you or me if we were not, not up to standard. We could not endure it. We could not face it. So let's rejoice, friends. Let's, re let's be glad to think that God has gone out of his way not only to just forgive us our sins and pat us on the head and say, now don't do it anymore, but he's gone further. He has forgiven our sins. He has clothed us in a robe of righteousness. He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Well, now we go on from this to notice one or two of the outstanding features in Colossians 1, 12 onwards, which helps us to understand this a bit more clearly. We have already looked at the word made meet, just in passing. We have also spoken about the reference to the saints. The saints. And I remind you uh, that the word saint in the New Testament doesn't is not limited to people. It also refers to the, the holiest of all, and that is heaven itself. Now you must go over that which we considered last time, if you're not quite sure. Search and see. But now we come to verse 13. And the first statement is, he has delivered us. But he's not only delivered us, he's delivered us from the power of darkness. And the word power is the word which should be translated authority. Power should translate the word that gives us the word dynamite. That's power. There's no authority in dynamite. But excelsior, the word here, means authority. I have authority over so many soldiers, said the uh, centurion to Christ. And when I say go, he goes. And when I say come, he comes. That's authority. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we are reminded of the dread authority under which we were. Will you turn back and see, because you want to know from what you have been delivered. Ephesians 2, and you, hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the authority of the air, not power, the authority. We mustn't underestimate our enemy. When our Saviour was tempted of the devil, he didn't underestimate him. When the devil claimed the authority 
to give Christ all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, for that I am mine to give, and I give to whomsoever I will. Christ never said, you're wrong. Because when man sinned, he changed masters. He changed allegiance from God to the allegiance to the wicked one. Now, if we are going to be made accepted, and if we are to have an inheritance in the light, there's no possibility of us being there or enjoying it unless this authority over us of the power of darkness is broken. You remember in Ephesians we are told, ye were sometimes darkness. Not merely in the dark. Ye were sometimes darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So the first thing we notice is that God says, in connection with this glorious position of being made meet, is that we have been delivered. And I felt it was worth a moment or two to consider what this word deliver involves. You will notice that we have several passages. I will just turn to them. Genesis 48.16 This, of course, is going back to the Old Testament, but we have the Greek translation to step in and make the link. Genesis 48.16 Verse 15 says, He blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my, of the, my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a great multitude in the midst of the earth. There we have the word uh, redeemed, uh, which in the original suggests not only redemption, but deliverance from. And you will remember we had as our reading Exodus chapter 14. Now Exodus chapter 14 could not exist without Exodus 12. And Exodus 12 is the Passover. And the Passover is that which led out Israel from their bondage into the freedom of the wilderness journey and the commencement of a pilgrimage to the land of promise. And so in chapter 14 we read in verse 30 these words. 14.30 Then the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. So that there is the emphasis there on the saving element in redemption. It delivered from something. It says in other passages, I have come down to deliver you. Because, you see, it's utterly impossible for you or for me to be accepted in the Beloved 
if we are still under the authority of darkness. So the first thing that was done was to deliver us. And we take this a stage further by looking at um, Hebrews chapter 2. We'll come back to the other references in a moment. Hebrews chapter 2, or where we read in verse um, 14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, is the condescension of our Saviour, that through death, here's the depth to which he went, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them, notice the two, he destroyed the power, he delivered them who were under it, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Deliverance nearly always has some form of bondage in view. Exodus, the bondage, literal bondage in Egypt. Hebrews, the spiritual and moral bondage of the fear of death. And anyone who makes uh, free with death and thinks nothing of it is not a natural person. The scripture doesn't speak of it lightly. The scripture tells us that it's come upon all men because of sin. And it needed, oh, what it needed in the work of Christ to deliver us from its bondage. But there is a deliverance, and let us be thankful. Well, now we'll look at these other passages which we have before us. In 2 Samuel 19.9, just to get a little bit further acquainted with the way in which this word is employed, And whenever you feel a little bit, uh, oh, this is a bit of a nuisance, I feel a bit tired, I don't think I'll look any more up. I do that, friends, oh yes. But I just stop and say uh, a little line, I spent long years for thee, hast thou spent one for me? There we go on. So let's do it. 2 Samuel 19.9 and all the people served, uh, all the people were at strife throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. He delivered them out of the hand of the Philistines. And you may notice as if you had, uh, if you had been reading with us the passage in Exodus 14, that the land to which they were going and from and for which they had been delivered was the land of a whole list of peculiar names, but they were all Canaanites. They were all the evil seed. And that is a picture of the principalities and powers that are antagonistic to the church in heavenly places. You do remember, don't you, that because of the hesitation and the attitude of Terah, Abraham's father, he delayed going into the land of Canaan. And when he got there, the scripture pointedly says, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Now there's a Canaanite in our land. Fallen principalities and powers are antagonistic. Ephesians chapter 
6 Eden says we have an armour, not to fight with one another, but to uh, fight against these enemies of our, our faith and the false possessors of our inheritance, heavenly places, spiritual wickednesses, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Look at it. That's it. We're delivered from it. The deliverance is going to be more wonderful than it is now, but we've started. And let us rejoice in any aspect of truth that we see because the light is shining. And the evil one has been checked or bought in that direction. Coming back to Colossians. Oh, there's another passage. I don't want to miss these. Psalm 17, verse 13. Psalm 17, verse 13. Arise, O Lord. Disappointed, disappointed with all his wisdom, this fallen foe of ours is to be disappointed. He will not reach the end that he has sold himself for. A disappointing. Deliver my soul from the wicked, which is thy sword. That needs a little bit more for exposition that we can afford this morning. But God has complete control over those things which are apparently against us, as well as those which are obviously for us. And then we'll turn to the New Testament, just to see the way in which the word delivered is used by the Apostle when he's speaking about his own experiences. 2 Timothy 4, 17. 2 Timothy 4, 17. He's saying of his experience in verse 16 at my first answer or the word defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. I think if the apostle hadn't been what he had been, he would have said something a little bit more rasping, but he didn't. Then he says in verse 17, notwithstanding, in spite of all that, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. Now look at the next words. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. There are some, of course, who say that means out of sort of troubles. But the Apostle himself says, if I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, we have, no, we have no conception of the way in which this man went through trouble and difficulty beyond dreams. And evidently, he had to share with what the early Christians shared by having to even contest against wild beasts. But if you like to say, oh, I don't think that, well, then it was bad enough to be likened to a wild beast. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And then he says to you and to me, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to him be glory. And what he said of himself, he was saying, is true of everyone who belongs to the same calling. He will deliver us. He will preserve us. 
and as we see in Colossians, he will present us ultimately holy and without blame. And the um, the next word, as the word I've already mentioned, is the word authority. We come back to Colossians and read where we are delivered from the power of darkness. And I've suggested that we are wise if we leave the word power for that which is giving us the dynamics and we retain the word authority for this word exousia. So will you look at one or two illustrations with regard to that? Luke 4, 6. Luke 4, 6. Here's the temptation of our Saviour. And the devil said unto him, All this power, that's the word exousia, will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. And this was all for one act of worship. We have no conception of the power of this great uh, authority of darkness that could even speak like that to the Son of God. And we do no service to the Lord if we trifle and underestimate the enemy that we have. And then, not only so, but in the Acts of the Apostles, 26, verse 18, we get another illustration. The Acts of the Apostles, 26, 18. Uh, here we have the Apostle giving a sort of an analysis, a precy of his special ministry. I think perhaps um, we'll go back uh, to verse 16, where the Lord said to him, he's saying what happened to him on the road to Damascus, but rise and stand upon thy feet. As quite a number of times the Lord says to somebody in the book, stand upon thy feet. He never says grovel on the ground. Stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness. Uh, for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of the things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. So on the road to Damascus, the apostle knew there was something else to be done, but he didn't know what it was. Now he says, I've, told, I've been told. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. So now, he said, I am being sent specifically to the Gentiles. And what are you going to do? Well, this is the analysis of what I have to do to open their eyes. And you know, that's one of the first things that comes in Ephesians 1 the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know, to open your eyes. You see, if you were in darkness, it didn't matter whether you opened your eyes or eyes or not. But if you're now in the light, then you use your eyes, blessedly for the first time perhaps, to open their eyes. And when, when we're dealing with one another, and especially a stranger, don't forget, friends, that that person's eyes may not be opened. Don't get angry with him because he doesn't see clearly what you're driving at. 
just say to him, well, the eyes must be opened to see, and God alone can do that, and send him away to pray, rather than to dismiss him. To open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light. Turn them, and from the power or authority of Satan, unto God. You see the differences there were. The eyes opened, there's light for darkness, there's God for Satan, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins, that's Colossians again, and an inheritance among all them which are sanctified, the inheritance of the saints by faith that is in me. That is the commission that Paul received on the road to Damascus, and now he's about to fulfil it, as we know in Acts 28. Well now, this question of the authority of darkness, as we've already referred, is in Ephesians 6, and I think it would be wise if we just read it, even though we may know it, so that we shall get the words once again well in front of us, because this has to do with our own conflict. He says in verse 10 of chapter 6, Ephesians, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The armour of God is there at your disposal. But now the Lord says, put it on. If we go out without it into the realm of the evil one, we mustn't expect to go unscathed. So put on the armour of God. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Oh, how many times we ought to remind ourselves about that. We are not wrestling with one another. We're not wrestling with our fellow believers or with the outside world. We've got a greater uh, need for uh, reserving our wrestling and our strength. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities. Against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, heavenly places in the margin. No wonder we need to be delivered from the authority of darkness and equipped against these the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickednesses in high places. Doesn't it make you say, and who is sufficient for these things? If it does, it puts us in the right spirit. A complete dependence upon Christ, who is the captain of our salvation. Now, I've got a question here on this paper in front of us. How did this authority come? I'm not able to answer it fully, but I think there is a suggestion in the passages which are suggested there, Romans 6 and Romans 5. Will you turn to them? Romans 6, first of all, verse 16. The Apostle just gives us a sort of principle that may help us. Romans six sixteen. Know ye not? This is a way in which he introduces something which is rather a challenge. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants, to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin, 
unto death, or obedience unto righteousness. How do I come under the authority of darkness and the bondage of sin and death? Well, either I or somebody else yielded and so exchanged their loyalty. So we turn back a page in Romans to chapter 5. It says in verse 12, Wherefore as by one man, by one man, sin entered into the world. This could raise a great controversy, but it should make us very, very careful. What one man can do, it's almost unbelievable, isn't it? One man opened a door that has not yet been shut, and it cost the Son of God his precious life to redeem us from the consequences. One man. Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and he didn't come alone. For where there is sin, there is death. The wages of sin is death. Apparently, in the eyes of God, that is unchangeable. So he says, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. Because we're all belonging to the same race. For that all have sinned. They have sinned because they are a sinful people and they are all reckoned in their first father who opened the gate for them. There is a law of inheritance which goes through the Bible and the law of inheritance is in our very land. I've never heard people object to the fact that because their father was a millionaire that they will succeed to millions. That's true. But if their father was a desperate character, they succeed to some of the desperate things that he is involved in too. It's there. So here we have the one man and the consequences. For until now sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. See, Moses hadn't given the law, but yet people died. So it shows you that death came in because of the one man. Nevertheless, death reigned. Death reigned. He is the authority of darkness. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over them that had not sinned after the, tra- the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is a figure of him that was to come. And there's the little light. There's the gleam. Who was the one of whom Adam was a figure? Well, we know his name. The first man was of the earth. Earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, should all be made alive. If you're in Adam, you die. If you're in Christ, you live. It's utterly simple and yet so terribly involved. And so we have these uh, these illustrations. Uh, verse 21. For that, that this is the... Uh, part that's so gratifying that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord and God reminds us in this chapter that death came by one transgression but we are forgiven many the grace of God abounds well now we look at the next word 
that we have before us in this Colossians that may need just a comment. It says, we have been translated, uh, we have been delivered and he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now we of course immediately think of Enoch who was translated. But the word translated is also found in two passages which I have given you there. So let's look at them. They are to, to do with deliverance from Egypt. Exodus 3, verse 8. Exodus 3, verse 8. Oh, it says in verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, and I know their sorrows. There's something there for you and for me, friends. The Lord sees, the Lord hears, and the Lord knows. But because he doesn't always intervene, it doesn't mean indifference. For there is a time for every part of God's purpose under heaven, and we may have to mark time while that comes. Now he says, and I am come down, to deliver them. God says, I am come down. It may be a figure of speech, but he was taking this personally. I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt, of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites. That's the principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world in type. But you see, they were not merely delivered out of Egypt, but they were brought up. They were translated. They were taken through the Red Sea. They came up on the other side, never to go back again. So there's one aspect of the idea of being translated. Chapter 6 of Exodus. Chapter 6 of Exodus, verses 6 to 8. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for the people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land concerning which I did swear to give it to Abraham, and so on. Not only does God bring us out, but he takes us in, and there's the emphasis again upon the thought of being translated, carried across. And, uh, of course, when you translate a language, you take it from the original, and you carry it across to the language of the folks who are going to be helped. Now then, of course, the next one is, of course, in Genesis, where Enoch, we are told, walked with God, and he was not. For God took him, and before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So here was Enoch. One individual case, as far as we know, who in the scriptures was translated that he should not see death. He was translated, taken away from this world, 
and it's a a sort of one outstanding evidence that that can take place in the spiritual realm as well. And so, if you look at Colossians, it seems almost to suggest that um, we are to be like Enoch in this sense. It says in verse, in chapter 2, verse 20, verse 20, halfway through, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? See, it says they searched for Enoch and they couldn't find him. And the apostle says to the Colossians, why as though living in the world? But they might have said, we are living in the world and we know it only too well. Oh, he says, I know that. But from a spiritual point of view, you're like Enoch. The world will seek to find you and they won't discover you. And possibly some of you have learned a little bit of that. Somebody who belongs to this world says, well, I don't know. Like that, you know. They can't make top of an attitude. And it's quite impossible for you to enlighten them. You are like Enoch. They search for you and they cannot find you. But even though they cannot find you, God has. He has translated you out from the authority of darkness into the kingdom. He has delivered you, translated you into the kingdom of his dear son. And so we read, even in Colossians, at this moment, your life is hid with Christ in God. This poor old body is not hid with Christ in God. We're going to be given a body like unto his in glory. But your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life shall be made manifest, we shall be manifest with him where? In glory. So we are all Enoch's in one sense. We may not always use it in our signature, but that's one of our names now. Enoch. The one who walked with God. The one who was translated that he should not see death. And so we have this wonderful illustration of our marvellous calling. And then the word kingdom has boggled a few friends because we rightly distinguish between what we call the kingdom purposes of God and the ecclesiastical or church purposes. That's right. Because there is a definite king and kingdom which is to be on the earth a literal kingdom with a throne and a dominion and nations serving and so on. But don't forget, the word kingdom indicates dominion and God is, has a dominion over all. He has a dominion over inanimate creation. It's all a part of his kingdom. And the scientists, the scientist doesn't jib at the fact and speak about the vegetable kingdom and the animal kingdom. And so we have this word that you must allow its usage and I'll give you two or three illustrations before we finish Ephesians 5 verse 5 Ephesians is the great epistle which emphasizes the truth of the peculiar calling of this people who were not to do with the kingdom purposes so far as Israel were concerned but he says in verse 5 that certain characters they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God I'm not quite sure how to translate those passages, but it looks as though even a believer 
who is accepted in the Beloved can lose a certain part of his inheritance or place in it by following the wicked example of the world. Uh, anyhow, I think most of us realise that these things are not characteristics of those who are accepted in the Beloved. And Colossians 1.13 gives us the kingdom, as you may remember, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us, where? Into the other authority, the other dominion, the kingdom of his dear son, the son of his love. So we're not to boggle at the word kingdom, that's his dominion, whether it's in heaven or whether it's on earth. And then again, we have in the, in the fourth chapter, the eleventh verse, he speaks about someone who was the name, who was named Jesus, which is called Justice, as you can quite understand why they uh, chose his other name, who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So they were working together for the kingdom of God. And the other reference is in his last epistle to Timothy, and with that we shall have to bring our little study to a conclusion. 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 1. He's writing to his son Timothy. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So, whether it's in heaven or on earth, whether it's far above all or down here, there is that dominion, that kingdom, which belongs rightly to Christ. And then we have in the 18th verse, um, supposing we look at um, verse 16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. What more can we say? The scripture says that all have sinned and come short. And the word meet is to measure up to God's standard. That's what God has done. All let us seek now to walk a little bit more worthy of such a calling that we may glorify Him.